0: was a great and a mighty thing that happened in egypt the pharaoh was said to be a man and as he was coronated and became the pharaoh what was said was that the spirit of the gods came upon him all the ancestor and all the gods came upon him they called it ka and the man became a god that is what was believed of the egyptian pharaohs But when we celebrate Christmas, it's exactly the opposite thing. Amen? It's not a man becoming a God, but it is God, eternal God, becoming a human being. Jesus' incarnation is unique. It's not just a man receiving a coronation, but it is the eternal second person of the triune Godhead mysteriously, He empties himself of divine prerogatives, and he becomes fully human. Jesus Christ, forever, fully human and fully God in one person. It's a mystery beyond that which we can ever understand. But he comes in the most humble circumstance we can imagine. So let's stand together, and we're going to read a very, very... uh, well-known portion of scripture. I hope if if you've been a Christian for a little while, you know this portion of scripture. We want to read it together from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 18. Let's read together with gusto. This is the word of God. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left him and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Amen. This is the good news of the gospel. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that you will prepare every heart that we would make room for the coming king. Lord, be with us now. Dig our ears and soften our hearts that we might hear your word to the glory of God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, let me ask you just for one second. You can come on up, Sarah. Just let me ask you for a second. Has anyone ever heard that scripture before? Raise your hand if you've heard it before. Good, 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 good. I love that scripture. It's one that my family, we used to, and we, and we still do, before we open our gifts on Christmas morning. We read that, uh, but we read more of Luke chapter 2 before we open our gifts on Christmas morning because we want to remember the great gift, the eternal gift, the gift of the God-man, Jesus Christ, to us. And so we read that. But one thing that can happen sometimes is when you read something over and over and over again, you can lose the impact of it. Amen? It's not new to you. You miss what God is trying to highlight. You miss the, the surprise of the moment. You miss some things at times when you read something over and over again. And so... What we want to do, if you you can turn the slide, and and Sarah is gonna do a different kind of reading, uh, just of the first five verses, eight through 12. And this is from uh, the LSV. You might not have one of those at home. It's the Larry Smith version. It's the Urban Contemporary John version of the Bible. So, I want Sarah, just go for it, sister. Make sure that, that mic is good. Is it good? All right regular folks working the night shift, minding their own business, and just steady doing their jobs. All of a sudden, an angel of the Lord showed up out of nowhere. God's glory lit that joint up, and they were scurred out their minds. But the angel said, yo, chill out, y'all. I got your back. I got some popping news, and folks, everywhere are going to be over the moon. This very day, in the same town where Lil' KG grew up, the Savior was born. Check it. He's the long promised Messiah, the Lord himself. Here's the sign that you're peeping the real deal. You'll find a newborn little man wrapped up in some fly cloths and lying in the donkey's feeding jar. That's real talk. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord praise. Now, I hope y'all know who little KD is, right? It said little KD where, where King David was born, right? Right. Little, little KD. All right. Um, it's good to hear the words sometimes afresh and anew, uh, but today I want to talk about uh, the, the subject when God shows up. When God shows up. When God shows up, what changes? What happens when God shows up? We're going to see what happened 2,000 years ago when God showed up, and I hope that you'll be, answered, you'll be able to answer the question today as well. What happens when God shows up in your life? What happens when God shows up in my life? What happens when God shows up in my situation, in your situation? What happens when God shows up? And so the question that we're going to look through these scriptures about today is simply this. How does Jesus arrive on the scene? Let's jump right into it. How does Jesus arrive? First of all, Jesus' arrival was announced. We see that in verses 8 and Now, most of us remember this passage so well because we remember the angelic host, this angel choir, this mass choir, this first Baptistarian mass choir of Golden Street shows up and they give an A and B selection as they glorify God. And we remember that, that this great choir shows up. But what I want to focus on when we talk about uh, Jesus' arrival being announced, I want to focus on exactly who it was that his arrival was announced to, and we know that these angels showed up in the fields at night to some shepherds. Now, for us, we can be at a bit at a, at a bit of a disadvantage because, as we read our Bibles and we think of shepherds, we can think of Psalm twenty-three the lord is my shepherd we think of shepherds in a majestic way king david was the shepherd king and jesus in john chapter 10 talks about god being the good shepherd and so we have this lofty idea of shepherds as these people who are at the top and who ought to be lauded and esteemed but that was not at all the way that shepherds were viewed in first century Israel and in Palestine. As a matter of fact, they looked down on shepherds. Shepherds were lowly folks. By the nature of their occupation, shepherds were unclean. And so people didn't want to have anything to do with shepherds. They were at the bottom of the social strata. They were deprived of some basic civil rights In the Mishnah, which is some early Jewish writings, they they indicate that if a shepherd falls into a pit, you shouldn't touch him or help him out. Shepherds were the lowest of the low. Let me just say this to you today. God starts at the bottom. God starts at the bottom. Look, if he didn't, we wouldn't be here today. God starts at the bottom. He shows up to marginalized people. He shows up to those who have been sidelined. He shows up to the least, to the last, to the lost. God shows up to these people. What does that look like? If God was coming to Philadelphia, if he was coming to Albany right now, who would he show up to first? Perhaps he would show up to undocumented workers here those who are marginalized those who are in the shadows those that people don't want anything to do with he shows up to the very least this is how god comes this is how he comes years ago uh, when the modern missionary movement started in the 19th and early 20th centuries uh, there was a big movement to reach the continent or or the, the country of india and in that movement the initial mission strategy because they had their caste system was let's reach the top of the caste system surely if we penetrate the top of the caste system with the gospel of christ surely then it will flow down and uh, and trickle through the entire nation and we'll have a great revival they tried it and they tried it and they tried it and it didn't work and finally some missionaries got a real good idea Let's just give that up and let's start with the least. Let's start with this group called the Untouchables or the Dalits. Let's start there. And God began to move. And God is moving in India to this day. God starts with the least. He announces himself. He starts at the bottom. And and, and God announces his glory. He announces his glory. I love this heavenly choir that sings this song glory to god in the highest heaven and peace on those to those on whom his favor rests god announces his glory jesus christ is the visible manifestation of the glory of god god has come we see him clearly in the The Christ, we see him clearly in Jesus. And two things are happening here as we see God's glory. I I, I just want you to understand that word a little bit. The The word glory in the New Testament is the word doxa. But it comes from Hebrew roots. And the word in the Hebrew is kavod. And that word glory means something that is weighty. Something that has substance to it. Something that you just have to admit there's really something there. And so when the, the word kavod or glory is used in the Old Testament of human beings, it means that that person has great status. That person usually has great wealth. That person is a person of substance. You can't get around it. That person's got something going on. But when it's used of God, it's all, it's even more than that. It's even more than that. God's glory is his self-initiated revelation of the eternal God in time to his creatures. God manifests his presence and everything else seems like nothing in comparison. Have you experienced the glory of God? The, The reality is if you have, you know it. You don't have to try to define it or figure it out. When you have experienced the presence of God and his glory, you just know it. There's something you know. There's an old thing in uh, Sesame Street. Two of these things belong together. One of these things is not quite the same. Hit that. Two of these things belong together. One of these things is not quite the same. Can you tell which one? See, glory is, is weighty. Glory is powerful. Glory is all that. I'm sorry to the dude in the middle. That's not glory amen but glory is this weighty thing it is god's crazy swag it it is god just saying here i am this is who i am check me out this is god he is announced with his glory but not only is jesus arrival announced jesus arrival is planned look at verses 11 and 12 the scripture says today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This was the long-awaited plan of God. It just didn't wait years. It just didn't wait decades. It, just, it didn't just wait for centuries. But for millennia, they were waiting on this Savior, this Messiah. They were waiting for God to show up. So this arrival was planned. We see it all the way back In the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sin and God calls down his initial curse on the serpent, on the man and on the woman in the midst of that, in the curse to Eve, he says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That is the first. Inclination that we see in the Bible of the gospel of Christ, that the seed of the woman, not the seed of a man, but the seed of a woman, the one who is born without an earthly father through Mary will come and crush the serpent's head. And they await this time. Isaiah 714 says the virgin will be with child and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then later in Isaiah 9, and verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And he will reign forever and ever. That is the one they have been waiting for centuries. They've been waiting for millennia. And here he comes, the one born in the town of David. He is a savior. He is Christ. He is Messiah. That word Messiah means he is the anointed one. And we speak of the anointed one in the Old Testament when a king came, the king was anointed usually by a prophet as David was, as Saul was, by Samuel the prophet. And they're anointed as a sign that God has placed his spirit on this man to reign over the people. And Jesus, though his birth was the most humble circumstance you can imagine, the reality is he comes, he doesn't need to be anointed by a prophet. He doesn't need to be anointed by a priest or another king he is the anointed one all by himself the anointed one has come he is Jesus he is the Christ and the world knew that Herod had heard about this newborn king and when Herod heard about This king, you know the story, and this is probably a couple years later because he doesn't go to Bethlehem, but they go to his home in Nazareth and they destroy, they kill all the children who are two years of age and under because he knows there's a new king in town and my kingship cannot stand against his kingship. Jesus comes as the reigning king, his arrival was planned, And the Bible also says, you can hit that next one, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, we can use that term in all kind of ways. We see something, we say, oh, my Lord. But we're not talking about the God most high when we say that, right? But Jesus comes as Lord. And that declaration, both to the Roman authorities who said Caesar is Lord, and to the Jews that use that term exclusively to talk about Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true and living God. And now the scripture says, it is the Lord who has been born. The Lord is born in Bethlehem. It's a mystery, but it was planned by God through all eternity. Not only was it announced, not only was did Jesus arrive as a planned arrival but jesus arrival was celebrated we've already talked about this a little bit starting in verse 13 a great company of the heavenly host appears with the angel praising god and saying glory to god in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests can you imagine that choir now we didn't end up with we we usually do a gospel choir on, uh, at this time of year. We didn't have one this year. Have you ever seen an incredible mass choir uh, praising the Lord? Has anyone ever seen that? Has anyone ever experienced that? Can you imagine how much greater this choir was? It's a choir of the heavenly host. They're not just three parts. They don't just have the sopranos and the altos and the tenors. But they've got some mezzo-sopranos. I don't even know what that is. They've got baritones. They've got contraltos. I don't know what that is or if it's a thing. But they've got everything you can imagine. Singers who have amazing and beautiful heavenly voices. And together they extol the glory of the coming king. The arrival of Jesus is celebrated. And it should be celebrated by us, not just in a couple days when we open our presence. But every time we see and we understand that God is here, God is with me in my circumstance, in my life, in my trouble. God is here. He has showed up. There's two things that I want to just hit on real quickly about this celebration. The first is this. Jesus is the revelation of the glory of God. We can look all kind of different places in all kinds of different ways. Do we see the glory of God when we see a mountain? I hope you do. I do. Or when you stand by the ocean and just see the vastness of it all. Or when you look to the heavens. Or when you see wildlife just doing its wildlifey kinds of things. Or when you see a, a new child born and who laughs for the first time my son uh, sent us a little video of our grandson laughing for the first time. And as a grandparent, I'm just going to look at that over and over again and say, that's my boy. It's the glory of God when creation acts according to the way God has designed it and all creation glorifies God. But the final and the perfect revelation of the glory of God is the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 puts it this way. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. You want to see God? See Christ. You want to know God? Know Jesus Christ. You may not see him with your eyes, but God invites you to his word, to see him, to know him. In John chapter 14, you remember the story where Jesus tells his disciples, he's ready to to go and to die. And he tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas says, we don't know the way. We don't know the way. Show us the way. And, And Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, don't you get it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you understand Jesus Christ in his fullness, you understand who God is. When you understand Jesus Christ, you see God. His arrival is celebrated, and it's celebrated as the glory of God, but it's also celebrated as the eschatological blessing on to those on earth God brings his peace. He says in the verse that there is peace on those on whom his favor rests. God brings his peace. And that comes as well from the Hebrew term shalom. It's a rene in Greek, but it's God's shalom. God's peace is not just the absence of a fight. It's not just that there's not a conflict. But God's peace is the wholeness of God's blessing, fulfilling all things and in all things. God's peace is the knowledge that God is with me. God's peace is understanding that no matter what is going on around me and what has happened to me, that God is still with me. I am one on whom his favor rests. Now, that's really good news if you say, Yeah, and his favor rests on me. I know it does. But what if you don't know if his favor rests on you or not? Like, I hope his favor rests on me, but right now I don't feel like it. How many people, you've been a Christian for a long time. There are days when you say, I don't feel like his favor rests on me, right? We've been through emotionally healthy spirituality. We can talk about our feelings right now. Sometimes we know it's true, but we don't feel it. But above feeling it, brothers and sisters, you got to know it. you got to know that God's favor rests on you. How in the world do you know that for sure? How do you know that when someone that you love and is close to you dies at a young age? How do you know it when the bottom falls out of your bank account and your economic life is shattered? How do you know it? when relationships that you prize so much are breaking and crumbling right before your very eyes? How do you know that God's favor rests on you? How do you know that Romans chapter 5 applies to you where the scripture says that we are justified, therefore having been justified by Christ, we have peace with God? How do you know that that, is on you i'll tell you how you can know it's as simple as this you have put your faith and trust in jesus christ and in him alone if that is true of you you are one who can claim the favor of god on your life regardless of what life feels like at the time not only is Jesus' arrival announced, planned, and celebrated, but it is discovered. Verses 15 and 16, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has come. We sing the song, hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. We celebrate his coming. He has come, and yet he still needs to be discovered. He's come. He's here. He's available. But is he yet discovered? When the angels left the shepherds, the Bible says They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. They heard that he was here, but then they went to see. Even though Jesus is here, he still needs to be found. Maybe you need to find him today in the midst of of a difficult circumstance in life. Maybe you feel lost and God feels far from you. You need to press in and go to him. Jesus has come, but he still needs to be found. Isaiah 55 puts it this way, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That time is right now for all of us. So here's the question that I have. They hurried off to see Jesus But are you urgently seeking for Jesus in your own life? Last week, we talked about the fact that we need to be those who are desperate for God. Not just that I've got my Christian credentials all set. I've checked off all the boxes. I'm together. I'm a Christian. Are you urgently seeking God now? Are you looking for Jesus in the midst of any and every situation in your life? To say, God, I need to see you in the midst of this. Jesus' arrival was discovered. Lastly, Jesus' arrival was proclaimed. Verses 17 and 18 put it this way. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. Verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Brothers and sisters, witnessing is a mark of a believer. Can somebody say amen to that? Witnessing is not something you have to go to a class for. You don't have to get a degree in it. You don't have to go to seminary for it. And you don't even have to go to Sunday school for this. All you have to have is a real experience of. With the living God in your own life. And when you have that, you cannot help but tell someone else about the goodness of this God. Witnessing is is just one way that Christians are talked about in the New Testament. The term that we use very often that I use a lot is disciples if you're a christian you're a disciple there's no difference between the two but another term that's often used is witness if you are a christian if you are a disciple then you must be you will be a witness of the goodness of the living god in jesus christ you will be that you can't help yourself these Uh, shepherds when they saw everything that the angels said it's all true and now our eyes have beheld god come in the in this little baby in bethlehem and sure enough we're going to go and tell everybody because the greatest thing that we've been waiting all these millennia for has now happened he is here jesus is with us god is with us they can't help but talk about it we as Believers in Christ, when you experience him, again, you don't have to memorize the Romans road or some other witnessing technique. You just need to tell about the goodness and the mercy and the love of God who came for you, even for you. You know your mess better than I know your mess. But I know this about it. It's pretty messy. And you ought to know mine is messy too. It's all a mess. But God comes to take this mess and put it in his process. And he makes us into something that we could have never dreamed to have been. And he wants his glory, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to flow through us. Witnessing is a mark of a believer. But effective witnesses are believable witnesses. Now this is interesting because shepherds in palestine in israel were not allowed to testify in court because they were considered the lowest of the low they were unreliable and unscrupulous people but here we have these first witnesses to the birth of the lord and even though they're not considered people who you would Want to listen to they are listened to because the scripture says that everyone who heard about it was amazed at what the shepherd said. Their testimony was intrinsically believed by those who heard their testimony. Everyone who heard it was amazed by it, even though they would not have been considered reliable witnesses. Why is that? It's because they had a real experience. They heard from God. They saw what God said they would see, and they believed it with their whole heart. They weren't witnessing out of some textbook that says, here's how to do it. They were witnessing out of the reality of an experience with the living God, having heard his word and saw that it is true. They proclaimed it and people believed it. I think too often, listen, God is the sovereign Lord of salvation. So none of us can go somewhere, and just because I proclaim a word, that means someone's going to get saved right away. Boy, I wish that would work that way. How many people wish it worked that way? But, but I think that one of the things that we need to get right, that we need to look at, we can bemoan the reality of our culture and how far people are away from God and how people don't believe anymore, and it's not like it was back in the old days, whatever that was like can bemoan that all we want but brothers and sisters we have got to become people who have regular experiences with the living god and out of that experience and knowledge of him bursts out of us in the love of god and we share his love with those around us that is a compelling witness and then we leave it in god's hands god they belong to you I don't know, there's people I've been praying for and witnessing to for years, and I don't see anything, but you know what? I believe something, and I see it in my eyes of belief that God is up to a work, and I'm going to hold on to that. We need to hold on to that. We need to believe that. We need to continue in that, and we need to witness as those who have seen and believed what God has done. Let me just finish up today. The act that changed the course of history forever is the incarnation of the second person of the triune God. Jesus' coming was announced by the great heavenly choir. It was planned from all eternity, and the prophets spoke of it for hundreds and thousands of years before he came. It was celebrated with great joy Jesus' coming was discovered. They didn't just take the word, but they did what the word said, and they discovered him in that manger, and Jesus' coming was proclaimed. They could not help but proclaim the Lord's name. In a few days, we're going to open gifts, but my question to each of you is this. Have you discovered God's greatest gift for you in Jesus Christ? Now, we're in church, so you know what the answer to that question is, right? The answer is yes. It's like the five-year-old in Sunday school when the teacher says, tell me what this is. It's gray. It's furry. It has a tail, and it runs up trees. Five-year-old says, I know the answer is Jesus, but that sure sounds like a squirrel. So you know when I ask you, have you discovered God's greatest gift for you in Jesus Christ? You know the answer is yes. But I want you to think a little bit more and perhaps even wrestle with God on this. To discover Jesus in your life is to declare three things. Number one, the Lord has come. The Lord has come. Number two is to declare God's glory is here. In my household, in my life, in my family, in my church, in my community, in my country, God's glory is here. May not look like it, but it's here. And then, thirdly, to proclaim, His peace is with me. I am one on whom His favor rests. His peace is with me in the midst of my grieving in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of dealing with past trauma and present mess, his peace is with me. This past week I got a call from my wife a few days ago, and uh, she had stopped off at work um, for a few moments to get something for the kids at school. And she put her debit card uh, in in the machine, and it wouldn't work. Uh Uh-oh, there's a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And so the man at the store said, why don't you go over there? We have this thing. You can check your balance. Okay. So she checked her balance. And her balance is my balance, y'all. So, and it was 4300 and something. dollars. She called me. <laughs> what you been doing, husband? I said, that's not good. She knew that it was not good. And uh, we, we knew it wasn't good. We, we figured out what it was. But the interesting thing my wife said to me later, she said, I saw that, and my wife is a money person. She needs to know where every penny is. I'm like, I trust you, babe. You got it, you got it. She, she's every penny, she's right on it. And negative 4,000 is never good, especially at Christmas time, amen? And so, you know, I know my wife, this is time to freak out in a big way. But she didn't, and she told me later, she said, yeah, I know I was, I struggled with it and everything, but I had a peace about it. And I remember when, when I heard it, my first thing was, it's just money. It's just money. We'll figure out what it is. I know I have not bought a car. I have not done something. And I know my wife hasn't. We'll figure it out. Whether it was fraud, whatever it was, we'll figure it out and we'll be okay. And there was a peace Brothers and sisters, that is my prayer for you as we go into this season and beyond that you will know the peace of God and you'll only know it as you discover Christ in every crack and crevice of your life. So I'm going to pray, you can come on up musicians, you can come on up. I'm going to pray that you would know the peace of God. If there is an area of your life, just think about it for a moment. It could be something that you're struggling with, it could be a relationship It could be a health concern. It could be a concern in your family or in the community. There's something in your life where you just know that you you don't really have God's peace in that area. I just invite you to press in and discover God in that area of your life and know the peace of God, which passes all understanding. It's in Jesus' He has come. He has come. Discover Him. Celebrate Him. Glorify Him. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you today that we can celebrate that the Lord has come. Emmanuel is with us. We can personalize that. Emmanuel is with me. I have believed on Jesus. I have received Him. In my life, and I know that He is with me. I know He is not against me. I know that He is for me, and I know no matter what my eyes tell me, that God is able. And I will celebrate Him, I will discover Him all over and over and over again. <coughs> Lord, I pray that we are a people that believing. In Jesus changes everything about us. We are a hopeful people. We are a joyful people. We are an optimistic people. We don't deny the hard realities of life. But we know that the Savior has come. The King is here. He started his insurrection. And we are with him. And Lord, we know that he will win the battle. So Lord, be with us. Glorify your name in and through us. We give you glory, honor, and praise for all these things in Jesus' name.